0: Welcome to the CPA Advisory Show. I'm Jeremy Wells, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Chris Servichon. Chris, how are you doing?
1: Doing great, Jeremy. How are you?
0: I am doing fantastic because we, yet again, have another guest in the studio. I love having guests in the studio. You trying to say that you don't like talking to me? <laughs> it's exhausting, man. It's exhausting <laughs> it when the two of us have to have to carry a whole hour-long show by ourselves, you know?
1: Yeah, it's true. I know it's exhausting <laughs> to talk to me. My, my wife says the same thing.
0: Anyway... Anyway, in the studio with us today, uh, Devin O'Brien. Devin, welcome to the show, man. And uh, tell us what you got going on.
2: Yeah, no, thank you guys for having me. So uh, I founded a company called Cordis and it is a software plus services model. So we work in the fractional CFO and accounting uh, service offering for startups and SMBs, either pre-revenue up to probably about series C. Um, and we basically serve in the full finance function, managing you know their day to day accounting and all their strategic decisions around their finances. And we built an internal software that we use um, to kind of manage all the FP&A aspects of it, right? So tracks their accounting, tracks their KPIs, run various forecasting and scenario analysis. Um, so that's what we do on the day to day. And we're uh, now looking to kind of expand our services into Eminent. Uh,
0: Very cool. Uh, So, I came across your profile on Twitter maybe within the last six months or so, and uh, I I think you had just started uh, putting out there this uh, this pathway of of building software. So, talk to us about that. Like, how do you go from being an accountant into software developer? Yeah,
2: um, that's a great question. So, I think the process is it it's a huge learning curve, and I think that you need to kind of it it really you need to talk to more people who have built software to build software right so i think i probably made every mistake in the book and i as a cpa accounting person knew nothing about software and i think that when you see it right it sounds glamorous it sounds amazing there's high valuations it's high growth like everything about it but to build it and to get to that spot it takes so much time and effort and you know if you're trying to bootstrap it right you're being conservative on like what resources you're going for, et cetera, um, and so you're typically using a lot of offshore developers. So for our process, right, we all of our developers are either in India or Pakistan, and then our CTO sits in the U.S. And so the process of kind of going through and developing the software really is just iterations consistently and constantly talking to customers and understanding, you know, roadmap. So our like weekly process really is we have a roadmap that sits in Asana, and then every Monday, whether it's sitting bugs in JIRA or key features, we go through and they're basically building it up to Thursday, whatever we're working on. And the finance team has to hop on every Thursday and go through and test all the different things from an accounting finance perspective, right? To make sure that it's functioning the way it's supposed to. Um, And then for like little bugs, we use a a firm um, that kind of overnight will do the like various outside testing, right? So testing, if you hit sync twice or you sign outside, like those crazy scenarios that we'll never test. We also have someone who does that. So it's, it's a, it's a complex process. And I think that, you know, bootstrapping it makes it a little bit difficult and a little bit slower. Um, And as an accounting and finance person, right? You think, oh, it's just a feature. Like it should be like five days, but everything takes about three times longer than you expect.
0: Yeah. Take us back to the moment when you had this problem, you're trying to figure it out. What did you try How did it not work and what made you say, I've just got to build something for this?
2: Yeah. So it started because we were building for a a client that we're a fractional CFO. We had built like what we call this cash burn model. And for majority of the C-suite, they didn't really want to look at numbers, right? They wanted to look at like charts and graphs. And so then it became that like constant back and forth of like sending an Excel file. Do I have the latest version? And then kind of me being coming from the finance side, I've hated Google sheets. So like, I didn't want to be in sheets. I want to be in Excel. So it was like, how do I find something that is super simple for them to update, right? Or just see charts and graphs. And I thought when I was kind of going through the, the current products, it felt a lot of tech people building for finance. And I really wanted to make it simplified and really focus on, can we make something that anybody who, you know, is non-finance can easily make updates to this, right? Or easily see what's going on, no matter what. So I kind of felt there was a talking to different people who were using different products. Their biggest issue was a ton of features, big learning curve, too complex. And I really wanted to just focus on let's be good at the things that people really need and not focus on features and things that they're just not going to get used that are, you know, just look good.
0: I think that's all software, right? Yep. Especially for software built for technical fields, right? Is, is they, they seem to be building for the edge cases and the, and the, and the higher end technical users. And pretty soon the learning curve is so steep that it's hard for anyone to get started with it. Right. Like I see that in a lot of the, a lot of the forecasting and budgeting software that's available Uh, you know, it's, it's so feature rich and that's great. But right now I just need to be able to tell my client if they're going to survive
2: the next three to six months. Yeah. Right. And I don't know which button to push to give me that answer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, there's, and there's, you know, depending on where you are as a business, right. You are going to need some more complex features, right. Like consolidation or things like that. But for a lot of the SMBs, like they don't necessarily need AI forecasting, right? Like they need to just be able to punch in a new hire and see what happens. Right. So it, I agree with you hundred percent on that.
1: So you've identified a problem point or pain point. You kind of have this vision for what you want so what's the step and what was the or step or steps that you took when you went from i have this idea i have a product that i want to build to hiring a developer so what was the planning process like and then how did you decide on a developer
2: yeah so the original process was we i had kind of been following different people who had built software on twitter um, and i had seen some people who had used an agency and, and kind of recommended that you know that agency Um, And again, i had heard a million times, don't hire an agency, but I thought if someone else has used it or multiple times and built things like that is the best process. And so I figured, you know, I don't know what the QA person does. As I said, I don't really know back end front end. So if it all sits in one place, I don't have to hire, you know, multiple freelancers. So that was kind of my thinking, right? Like one stop shop, this will be great. The kind of process was, you're paying bills, you're not really tracking hours, right? You're just getting hit with these invoices and you're meeting and seeing what's happening, but I was never on the platform. So I'm seeing things, right, but I'm not testing it. So I'm like, this looks good. This is what I want, whatever. You go through a process and then it's been three and a half months, I get on the product and it was basically not usable, right? Like it, it couldn't do things, formulas weren't right. And I try to outline things as specific as possible. That's probably the biggest thing I've learned from building a software or working with freelancers, VAs, whatever. you have to be as specific as possible with looms, whatever it is because you need it, especially if you're doing something technical like accounting, it just can't be wrong, right As soon as the data is wrong or they don't have trust in their data you lose. So post agency and not really having that product, I just went on to upwork and started vetting developers myself. Um, kind of lucked into finding one that also had a network of a few others. And I would just go on Slack and talk to them constantly. And every time they ship something, I would test it. Um, but that process really, obviously is not really scalable in terms of time. If you're constantly trying to do client work and constantly test things, it just became not scalable. So as we started to build the client base on the, on the services side and had more budget, we just started hiring more developers. And then I moved to bringing on someone who actually knew tech and could speak their language to just run it. So it really pulled me out of the development side. Um, Cause I found a lot of times I couldn't, if they said, I can't do something because of X, Y, and Z, I didn't know enough about software to be like, no, you can, you just don't want to write the code for it. Cause it's hard. <laughs> right. But he could call them out on those things because he could speak their language.
1: So you found an agency basically on Twitter, right. Yep. And you go and you hire them. Do you tell them like, Hey, I want to build in Python or I want to build in Java or do the, you just trust the agency and the agency says, we're going to build it in this because this is what we yeah. know? Yeah.
2: Uh, so I trusted them and was like, I'm fine with either like a PHP Laravel or Python, like I'm fine with whatever is kind of the best and most cost effective to get an MVP, but yeah, they, they decided like PHP. And I think it's probably cause it's older and, and one of the more basic languages to go with it. Um, and we haven't had any issues with it, but like, you know, looking back, I kind of just, I should have done more research and known a little bit more to give them more guidance. Cause I kind of just was like, here's a competitor that I'd like to be similar to change this and this and go
1: got it so you've already got a base right so when you go out to upwork you already know you're looking for a php developer and you can vet them that way you're not having to vet both the the language and the skill of the developer yeah okay that makes a lot of sense so once the developer on upwork starts to ship things to you like how far into the process are you at that point like how many, like what's the Yeah, problem? So I think
2: the agency was probably three plus months. And then I think a, when I started working with the like freelance developer who brought in a few other people, um, in his network, it was probably another two and a half months to get a product where I was like, this does enough that I could ship it. So it, it really all in all probably took like five to six months to get something out.
1: Gotcha. So when we're saying ship it, do we mean that we're selling it now to other firms or is this like an internal thing that we're just using it for? Yeah,
2: using it, using it on our own, but like enough that it pulls the data right, that we can use it and let other people, uh, let our clients on to write, to look at things. And it's not just us using it internally.
1: Gotcha. So what's that process been like? (laughs) What are are the pain points? What's been awesome? What hasn't been? Like, tell us more about that.
2: I think that, you know, the biggest pain points really are as, you know, the accounting side of things right and you want to you build a feature the way that you need it now but it always evolves so to like give you an example is a lot of people that we work with on the smb side they have different business segments and so in quickbooks they want to look at their L by class or by location so we originally are just pulling data just on a consolidated basis then we go and we switch and we want to do it by class well quickbooks doesn't necessarily because of the way you can do transactions the balance sheet doesn't balance by class so now i don't realize that initially because i don't scope out the full balance sheet by class and realize it only will consolidate on consolidated so they build a full feature and now i'm realizing we can't ship it because they're going to look at a balance sheet for their one segment and assets won't equal liabilities but so we can't so then it's like oh wow i just completely screwed up let's reverse only show the p l and then how does that look where do you put it like there's so many different things right that it's not just the functionality, it's also the design and the flow because people have to, you're always competing with Excel, right? And you want QuickBooks to be your system of record. So people don't have to go into QuickBooks. That's my biggest thing I've noticed with customers. Like they're scared to go into QuickBooks because they think they'll mess something up, right? So can you be a system of record, pull data accurately, pull it timely, but then also it has to flow the way they expect it to flow.
0: That's a, that's an interesting point. Yeah. I've got, I've got clients that are in QuickBooks more than I want them to be, and then I've got clients that just won't even touch it with a ten foot yep. pole, and nobody in between, nobody that will just go in and casually pull the report that they want, right? No, they got to email me at like ten thirty at yep. night and say I need this report by eight a.m. tomorrow morning, right? When I'm like, look, I've already saved this as a favorite. All you got to do is log in and click yep. a button, you know, and there it is. But um, yeah, no, that's interesting. Okay, so. This is obviously a problem, and this is this is one of the reasons I want to bring you on the show because uh, you're you're a fairly prolific tweeter, um, and one of the things that keeps coming up in your tweets is the quality of the actual bookkeeping, right? Yep. And I, I think this gets over overseen a lot, especially on the client side, right? Because they come in and they say, "I need a CFO. I need somebody that's going to, you know, just help me make all these big strategic decisions." Yep. And the, obviously the next question is, okay, well, what do your books look like? And they don't really have an answer. So what's your experience been like there? What do you do in these situations where it's garbage in garbage yeah. out? Like, what are you doing to help your customers, your clients when it's those kinds of difficult situations on a, on a data and transaction level? Yeah.
2: So I think what we typically try and do is we'll get, I always ask like, can we get an NDA and can we see what's going on? Right. Cause if we can get into QuickBooks, even reports access. And I can just look at a monthly trend of the PL and the balance sheet, I can get a pretty good idea of the quality of the data, right? Like if there's negative liabilities or like negative miscellaneous income, like you know, random things that don't trend right, or they just randomly end. You know, we have an expense that's six months and then it's just cut off. Like, well, where'd it go? Like what happened, right? And so pretty quickly I can kind of see what how much has to go into that. And then when we're gonna work with someone, right? I'm always I don't want to come in and say hey you need to get rid of your bookkeeper your controller whoever it is right i i would rather say hey let's see what it is if they're good great then we don't have to do that aspect but typically we'll come in pretty quickly and we can just see the the way things are moving and the way the accounts are that like something's not right here and so then our process is we'll go in and we'll spend a few weeks where we're going to try and reconcile everything and pull everything and understand everything we can and then ship everything back to the client basically and say here's the vendors, here's the transactions. We don't understand. Can you help us like classify that or how do you want to see it? So it's kind of like a, a little bit of an art, right? Of like, how are things done? Let's clean it up. And then how would you like to see it going forward? The chart of accounts, the way things, you know, the way things move. And then we'll just manage the day-to-day from there of, you know, applying things consistently, reconciliations, timely closing, just, you know, that whole process. But we, you always have to go in and look because you just don't know until you just look at the trends and see the way things move.
0: So does your software Quartus, does it work only with QuickBooks right now or is it working
2: with other GL software? Yeah. So we started with QuickBooks and we did uh, a few other like tested integrations, but w- what we first did was actually used um, one of the third, third party, like API, I don't know if you're familiar with like merge API or it's basically a system where it kind of makes everyone's API, I guess, pulled the, you know, the same way. So when we did that, um, it allows you to do a lot of accounting instances. Uh, one thing we saw quickly though, is if merge doesn't pull the data timely or it doesn't pull it right for whatever reason, then you could get to an instance where it's like, it's not really in your hands. So then we moved and went directly to the QuickBooks API ourselves. So we're kind of looking at how we do the next few accounting softwares, the Suites, Zoho, et cetera, and making sure that if we do use a third party, that making sure it, it tests everything right. Cause it will integrate the process. So right now we do QuickBooks only. And then we've started to do custom integrations for CRMs like Square and other ones. So people get a little bit Mm -hmm. more insight into their revenue data that, you know, QuickBooks only gives you the wire detail, $3,600 on Wednesday. Well, like what's in that? Well, you don't usually know until you reconcile. So if we can pull your Square revenue too, you can see what came into that 3,600 without having to wait until, you know, a reconciliation or however you do your month end.
0: I keep running into problems with Stripe because Stripe is very stingy with its data. And every time I, and this has only happened a few times until I learned my lesson, but every time I would promise a customer that I could build them out a dashboard or give them some sort of display of sales level data and they're using Stripe, all of a sudden I just run into a roadblock because there's no way I can get the data out of there that I need.
2: Yeah, I think, and that's the, probably the biggest issue, right, with a lot of the CRMs is how you know if you get data i mean it's not always easy to pull and a lot of times we want to pull it in charts and graphs and so it becomes like a very timely uh you know developer job to if we want to pull in their crm to see more detail but we kind of have felt that everybody likes to see more revenue detail right and so if you can pull in the squares or whatever it is we did a Zenoti, which is kind of like a salon um, spa one too, that kind of gives them the charts and graphs that the c-suite likes to look at because they're probably not looking at the numbers as much
1: We've mentioned a bunch of different data sources, a yep. bunch of different APIs. Uh, admittedly, you're not a software yep. developer, right? And not, not every developer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I feel you. Uh, so not every developer is an expert in data security. Yep. So talk us through that. Like, you know, how concerned were you when you're going and developing this platform? What are the steps that you took? How did you solve that? What's that yeah. look like? So I think,
2: you know, originally it was, uh, as you would expect, I didn't know enough to even know how it, it should go until when I brought on the CTO, we started actually testing that we run, you know, the backups onto AWS, you know, at X time every night and then verifying, right? Like we would actually delete all the data and sync from AWS to make sure it all pulled back and we could do that. So we ran that test a few times to make sure we had everyone's data actually synced, et cetera. On the QuickBooks side, they do, um, What's been good about like kind of the security there is they let, they make your token expire. So you do eventually, our software kind of notifies you like your token or your API basically has expired and you have to recredential yourself. So QuickBooks has kind of helped us on that aspect. But to grow, right, and to get into public companies or things like that, you eventually have to do like SOC2 compliance and things like that. And so for us, that's, you know, probably a fifty dollars to $100,000 cost that we'll probably have to tackle as we get out to the later of 2023 and 2024. But right now, luckily, the, the QuickBooks aspect of having to recredential you and then, you know, having AWS kind of make sure all the backup, all the data synced, et cetera, has been what we've done in terms of like security and storage of data.
0: Got it. Very cool. Uh, yeah. So what is, you know, what, what am I doing as one of your customers yeah. with this? Is this something that you're presenting to me? Is this something I'm logging in? Yep. Is this a daily dashboard? Is this a monthly overview? Yep. What, what am I actually getting?
2: You're getting, I mean, so you have your own credential, right? So you can go in a lot of times we'll review things together. So we'll go in and analyze variance analysis in the software at month end, or we'll we'll schedule a meeting to run various scenarios. I'd say on the client side, they're using the dashboard to track charts and graphs on a daily, monthly, weekly basis. And then they're kind of just using it to run their own scenarios or just see how their financials are tracking. So right now the I'd say the client side is using it more to just as they're not going into QuickBooks, they're kind of using it as their system of record, right? And then charts and graphs to see how they're doing versus how they budgeted to. And I'm using it to kind of run it and run scenarios and help them think through what we need to be thinking through on the kind of strategic finance side.
0: I, I send out the monthly management report out of QuickBooks that you know shows the PL and the balance sheet. And there's always part of me that feels good that I've accomplished that. And then also bad that I've just sent them a bunch of numbers that they probably either don't know what to do with it or don't want to do anything uh, with it. Yeah. Which leads me to the next question, right? Why, you know, from your perspective, and now that you've gotten into this project, right, why do you think these GL softwares that hold all these data, why do you think they just leave it up to third parties and developers to actually take the next step and make this accessible? to the end user, right? To management? Why, why is it incumbent upon us as accountants to translate that? You know, why, why do you think that is? Is this, is this, you know, just they're dropping the ball? Or is this something that's fostering, you know, sort of a, an, an app driven community around the main project? Like, have you, have you tried to get any insight into that part of the business model? Yeah,
2: I think for me, one of my biggest questions has always been you know, QuickBooks, looking at like into its earnings, I mean, QuickBooks is a cash cow and it always grows. And now I think even on their pricing, they're bumping things to look at by location or by class, right? You even have to upgrade now. So it's just growing. What I guess I don't understand, and this is probably just not the best way to answer the question, is I just haven't figured out why they're, they don't go the route of making it a little bit more on the UI UX side and the way people use it, more friendly on the analytics side, right? I get it's the QuickBooks, it's the accounting software, but I I feel like there's, as you mentioned, there's so many people who don't want to go in it. And I'm just curious why they haven't kind of ventured into the front facing analytics and and trying to make it a lot more friendly, user friendly, and and kind of give them a space where they don't have to worry about clicking into the chart of account, like doing something wrong that messes up their accounting. And I don't know, I I still, I've actually looked into kind of in the past few days, someone who, Help build QuickBooks Online is on uh, one of those like uh, it's like one of those consulting or one hour like intros. You can like you know ask them questions. And I was like, I think I might just book this and ask them. Like I, I saw he's on there. I might just ask them because I don't know why they haven't gone. Um, and very early on, to uh, when I was doing this, I met uh, so I'm out in Scottsdale. I met with a venture uh, firm out here who was interested in, in investing in our uh, software. And he knew someone that just joined the QuickBooks like Venture Capital team. And he kept asking me like, why haven't they gone on like gone into this? Why aren't they doing this? And the answer was, just, I don't know, I, I don't know. And, and it it seems like a seamless transition for them. They already have such a big base. I, I yeah, I, it is a very good question and I don't know.
0: This is one of those moments where it seems like it, it's very difficult to read what Intuit's strategy is because on one hand, they seem so direct, user focused. You know, th- things like QuickBooks Live and TurboTax Live, and those kinds of things. That you know, on one hand, there are a lot of accountants that think Intuit is, is just trying to you know, it just just screw over the entire accounting industry, right? You know, put them out of business. But then on the other hand, they the 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 actual necessary features of things like QuickBooks online, desktop, whatever. It feels like you. St- still, you will always need an actual bookkeeper. You will always need an actual tax professional, like helping you with this stuff, right? Because they're not making it end user or taxpayer, you know, friendly in, in a way that you can just see what's happening rather than having to go in and, you know, almost be like an accountant yourself. I mean, every, you know, tax preparer's nightmare is a customer that's done their own QuickBooks, yeah. right? You yeah. know, and 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 now you have no idea what you're getting. And it seems like, yeah, if they're if, if, If there were more of the, like I could buy the argument that Intuit is trying to put accountants out of business if they were doing things that made QuickBooks very easy for the end user to actually go in there and do things in a controlled sort of way without, you know, screwing everything up and then see visually, you know, what's happening in their businesses, but that just seems so lacking in the product. And then we need things like what you're putting together for a business owner who doesn't have, you know, a finance or accounting background to actually understand what's happening in their business.
2: Yeah, I think, um, yeah, and I agree with you. I think if they were kind of going that route, right of the accounting, I would expect more things of AI, right? Like, could journal entries be easier? Or should I capitalize this, right? Like, if you were trying to accelerate that process, when you get into the banking feed and you see your transactions, there should be more, right? There's no guidance unless there's a rule set up by somebody else or it's a match. There's still a lot of things. And I think the other part that makes it a little bit complex is a lot of, you know, businesses kind of blue collar, right? They might use a like a service titan or something that does all their invoicing. And it's not always a, a great integration, right? Because there's fees off the top. So like AR doesn't match. or So there's so many like little intricacies that you still need somebody to be like, your undeposited funds is huge. Like what is going on there, right? And so it's like, I still, it's so hard I think to really completely automate accounting because there's still so much decision-making and still a lot of banking and other services that are coming into it on invoicing payables that they all kind of have to speak the same language and accountant needs to know how they need to speak, right?
1: Hey, it's Chris. Thanks for tuning into the show and we really hope you're enjoying it. If you like the show, Please like and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. If you really like the show, please leave us a review and we'll read it on the air. If you have a service or an app that is tailored to accounts and you want to get in front of several hundred accounts that listen to this show every single week, send us an email at host at cpaadvisoryshow.com. Okay, let's get back to the show. Devin, I'd be curious as to your take on this, but my take is that if you're going to build accounting software that is super easy for business owners to use whoever is building that software has to understand the nuances and the intricacies and the difficulties of a small business owner and also has to understand accounting really really well and you said it I don't know what 20 minutes ago but finding developers who understand accounting is damn near impossible you've had that experience i've had that experience there's a number of other people who have had that experience Finding developers that understand business and just operating and running a small business like that's hard too. And then when you think about the size of an accounting platform like Intuit or Zero or like just go down the list, you need a lot of those people who are all speaking the same yeah. language, who all understand and you know product owners and things like that, who all understand all of these nuances and all of these difficulties. And like from a practical standpoint, do you think that that's even? able to be accomplished?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I think, you know, I think they, if anybody has the resources to do it right, they do, right? And looking at looking yeah, at how much cash sure. they can generate. But I, I agree with you. I think that it's it's very, very hard because you don't have to just necessarily get the back end right, right? And get the accounting right. It's the way it's used too. And those are so, so difficult to do because if it works great on the back end, but it's not comfortable or seamless flow to do things, people won't use it. So it, it is right. And then I think there's other, there's so many other things, right? Like there's DAP, there's IFRS. There's so many different things that also then, and they change all the time. So then there's tax versus guess. So I, I agree. I think there's so much intricacy and in changing to accounting that it's just very, very hard. I mean, when I was at KPMG, we, they were developing a software to read certain returns that was like AI to populate things and they would launch the feature and it would be like, oh, it, it can't actually read this past year's returns yet. It can only read 2019 and 18. And it's like, well, it's basically useless, right? Like "I now, all right, like now I'm still gonna populate it. How much money did you guys spend on the development to do this and it doesn't do anything? So it, it's so hard and I, I really do think that like returns and the way things are written and the way things are classified, I'll give you an example. Like you wanna do EBITDA on our software. Well, we're now having to change it so that you can tag. Because what if someone calls it depreciation expense? What if someone calls it depreciation EXP? What if they call it DNA? So, like, you can't, like, you're going to run every scenario that somebody could call depreciation, right? So, you have to tag it. So, it's like those things that you have to, like, realize, like, oh, wow, it's never going to be called the same thing in six different books. I can't just automate that formula. I have to, like, make somebody tag it or I tag it.
1: Out of curiosity, how much time have you spent on? ocr technology on or with
2: um i haven't i probably not too too much to be honest
1: yeah like my experience with it and i've heard from different places over the years like ocr is solved and to me what solved means as an accountant just a you know some sort of an idiot who doesn't really know that much about software but solved means that like once you run something through it's gonna do it accurately every yes. time that's what solved to me yes means. yeah like even going through some of the OCR technology that's really, really good, and sending various different like W twos or entire tax returns, whatever, and trying to OCR that. Let alone the security of all of that data, but trying just trying to get a W two that can come in various different formats to get OCR and then populate somewhere that's you know some sort of a standardized format. Like that technology, I would argue, doesn't even exist. Now.
2: I mean, even the likes of um, some of the bill pay vendors like bill.com or ramp just yesterday. I'm looking at an invoice and it's pre-populating it and the address is wrong. The invoice number is wrong. Right? So it's like those guys have big, big startups that are doing this and it's still difficult because everybody's invoice looks different and it has things in different spots. I agree with you. I mean, I think it's still so challenging that you have to have a second set of eyes. You're going to be mailing checks to completely different places. Right?
0: I think people would be shocked like your average taxpayer would be shocked with how many variations of something like a W2 exist out there right yeah. like it's how have we not come up with a standard W2 that everybody has to use yet right we have a 1040 that everybody has to use but we don't have a W2 that everybody yep. has to use so yeah it again it gets back to the to the you know sort of garbage in garbage out you know that we're just it feels like we're just always going to have to deal with that to some extent but you brought up AI. And so, you know, one of the applications I've seen for AI is to read through, uh, you know, bank statements, credit card statements, this kind of thing. And up until now, that process has been okay for putting it through something like an auto entry or something like that to, you know, convert that static PDF data into a CSV or something like that, that we can import. But we're still stuck with just these cryptic lines from the bank statement that don't really mean anything to anybody. And we have still got to figure out, okay, what kind of expense is this? Who's the vendor, right? You know, these sorts of things. So, you know, Are you looking at AI as a way to improve the process? Are you trying to wrap that into what you're building or the other work that you're doing? Have you experimented with that at all? So we're looking
2: into it. And I think the use case is really like the biggest question still, right? And I think you brought up a few different things. So I've seen that, you know, other softwares that clients have used that, as I mentioned, like AI based forecasting, and it will take a fixed expense. They'll hit AI generate, and it's gonna project out a random number that's no longer the fixed expense. So the question becomes like, how is that valuable? If you can't tell me how you came up with that. Right. So can you explain to me what the AI did and what it pulled and what it's looking at? If it's looking at transaction detail, whatever, but certain things are fixed, certain things are not. So that becomes complicated. Right. So kind of looked at it on that route. And then I've also seen on the analysis route, right. Or it's going to look at your PL or look at your trends and tell you certain things. But I still think that that hasn't really progressed enough to be valuable. Um, looked at a competitor who was like, you need to sell more. And the client was like, yeah, I know, right? Like telling me that I need to sell more is not helping me. I do know that I need to sell more. So it's like, how do you use it? And I I think my focus right now has been using it and looking at it to answer questions, right? Like what happened? What is in the detail of this line item? Like if if I did this, right? If my advertising expense went like this with this ROAS, what would happen to my P&L? And can it then know what's fixed and what's variable and and give you an idea of what it would look like? I kind of like it in that sense, Um, but I also think then it becomes complicated because business models are different, right? So clients are different, the unit economics are different. So then it, it becomes very, very hard. And so I think it is not something that I'm gonna just ship to say I have AI. I really want it to be valuable and actually be something that people like and would use before I go down that route. So I'm still constantly working on how we go about that and in what manner financially, because I, yeah, I just, I don't want to be the guy that says we have AI technology and it's like, it just giving you random information that it pulls and and it's not actually useful information.
0: Yeah, I can relate to that. Some of the, some of the uses I've, I've been trying over the last couple of months, it, it almost, it, it, it feels strange because on one hand, it's a, it's, it's a computer, right? So it should be able to take data and do amazing work with data. But I feel like what, like what you're saying, it kind of falls apart with structured data. On the other hand, I can just start typing words into it. And it seems to pretty quickly at least get the gist of what I'm telling it to do. Right. Which I guess that goes back to, you know, this is kind of what it seems to have been built for, right, is more of like a text-based sort of, you know, it, it's in the name chat, right? Yeah. Like it, it it should talk back and forth with you, which in some ways is what we do, but in other ways, it's it's based on analysis of the data. And that's where I find it keeps falling short for me is, is like giving it some structured data and then saying, okay, make sense of this. And it's like, it's like you said, it's like sell more, you know, it's just very, it's like, no kidding. Um, you know, but then it'll write me, uh, yeah, right. But then it'll write me an essay on like whether something is tax deductible or not. yeah,
2: yeah, and I think that's part of where I had looked at, if you look at, you know, and this comes back to the amount of data, the quality of the data, if you just gave it like a QuickBooks p and l, there's not that much in that, right? If it looking at the trends, it could tell you quarterly, whatever. But that's like basic analysis. But then I found if you do because I, I I read a test and i I use Chat GPT to do this. I basically asked ChatGPT like a couple months ago, build me a Python code that if I took 65,000 rows of revenue data for one of our clients, and then you ran like a Monte Carlo simulation, right? So run a thousand scenarios. What do you think the revenue would be next year? And I think it was coincidence and dumb luck, but it came within like 1% of our KPIs. But it probably takes that much data, right? And in a QuickBooks, if you have six months of data or 12 years, like, it's going to take a lot to really be able to make those decisions, and so as you said, it becomes a quantity and quality question. And so then I think almost the the benefits of AI become: can you just like pull reports and formulate the data and structure it and send you know automated monthly closing reports, right? And that's like more basic, but it doesn't require the analysis and it doesn't require the quantity and consistency of data. It's just it's doing you know automated tasks or things that are just manual. It's like where I still feel it like it is on the finance side.
1: I'm kind of wondering, like that capability has been available for like decades with, you know, VBA and conditional formatting. And and like you could do that in in Excel like years and years and years ago. So what's the benefit of AI for something like that versus basically just coding something that you could just probably do in half a day or a day or whatever? What I was
2: thinking about it is, is, If you had different metrics, right? Like if someone wanted to say, I want to see this, right. Or I want to see this as of this date, or kind of the, the ability to change what KPIs they pull or to be able to pull like specific detail. Right. So I, I was thinking a bit more of like the customizability might require the AI aspect of it, of knowing, kind of asking it a question of what happened in this time period, can you send me a report on it? So like having the conversation to then go pull the things that it wants. I'd be
1: curious from both of you, like do you like at what point do you think you're going to be comfortable enough with AI to run that whole process for you, which you are now responsible for? So as soon as that customer gets that report or gets that answer or whatever, you are responsible for it. You don't necessarily have a look into how that answer was generated. So if somebody comes back and says, Oh no, it's not hundred bucks, it's actually two hundred. You can't even do that variance analysis. Like you you just don't know. So, like at what point do you think that you would be comfortable? Like what what's that process gonna take? And Jeremy, I'm interested in and your perspective on that too?
2: Yeah, I think uh, from from my perspective, I, I don't know. I, I'd say it, it takes a while. It <laughs> takes a while, right? Because every, as you said, everything that you do or say, it kind of you're kind of held accountable to that, right? If it's an investor or it's a you know a venture someone from uh, a venture partner, they're going to hold you to that. And if it's wrong, then like you're scrambling, right? You're scrambling to why is it wrong? What happened? And, and explaining it to them and I think you ultimately still just need at least one person for the next X amount of years to really verify things and make sure before it goes out. So I I don't know. I, I, I still feel like it's, it's an art and a science and how you portray things, how you show them. And, and it's still going to require a person for at least a, a decent amount of time until I feel like it can run a thousand iterations without any mistakes.
1: Jeremy, what do you think?
0: You know, I keep seeing people, uh, like on Twitter, for instance, say you know I'm waiting for this thing to be able to do my taxes for me, so I don't have to keep paying a, a tax preparer to do it, and and I just think, yeah, man, we can probably build it out. But I mean, you know, to to Chris's earlier point, we already ha- you can build a spreadsheet that will prepare your taxes for you, right? You just have to understand the calculations. You don't even have to understand. The code or the regulations or anything like that. You just have to look at the forms, follow the calculation. And I've done this. I've built out spreadsheets that were, you know, the federal, ta- the, the 1040, you know, a, a California uh, state tax return. It's not that hard if you just follow the instructions. But it's it's what's affecting the numbers that get in there in the first place, right? You know that's that's where the money is made, you know, from my perspective, and that's where that's where the the, the money is lost on the on the taxpayer side, right? Is if they're not aware of the processes that produce those numbers, um, and, and yeah, for that, I I, I think that's going to be a lot bigger push. But then on the other hand, you know, I I do most of the use cases that we're seeing out there for AI is to put you know blocks of text in there and then. Make it have a conversation with you or propose, you know, paragraphs or essays or blog posts or these kinds of things. So I'm just wondering is if we could feed it enough of tax court cases and regulations and these sorts of things, you know, actual authority, right? Could we then get it to spit out? you know, give me, give me your five recommended tax strategies for this taxpayer. Or if we're in a business case, right? Like you're saying, give it the last 18 or 24 months of P and L's and balance sheets and this sort of thing and say, give us your five recommendations, you know, and one of those is probably going to be sell more, right? Um, you know, just like every tax strategy is going to say, give more to charity or, you know, put more in your 401k or something like this. But then at the same time, you know, maybe it would come up with something that an actual human would miss. Right. And I, to me, that's almost like, that's the counterbalance, right. To the fact that it's probably going to throw some basic stuff out that are no brainers, but then on the other hand, because it has just that, that computer way of thinking about things, it's, it's probably not going to miss something that a human could easily overlook, you know, and I, and I'm wondering about that, you know, how that, how we would apply that, right. To something like bookkeeping, right. Where, oh, this, you know your, your, like you said, your depreciation expense or, or your marketing expense or something from last quarter is significantly different from the four quarters before. Why is that right? Like it would flag it. It might not be able to explain why, but it would flag it. And a human just looking over that P and L might not get that right. Might not notice that.
2: Yeah. I think another point you kind of made me think about was on the f- going forward and like the finance, like look forward side. A lot of that stuff is still qualitative, right? I know things that unless you tell it, it's never going to know. I know that this person's quitting. I know that that person's going to be hired. I know that we have this, you know, tenant improvement credit that comes in on this date. And if you're going to go through and feed it all that, then right, it's going to know about the future. But I still think that, you know, if, if there's, if it's helping you make revenue projections based on, you know, it knows the economic forecast, like those things are built in underlying data and principles that that's probably helpful. But there's still so many qualitative things that then, on the person side, you translate into what it looks like on the on the quality, the qualitative into the quantitative. And I think that that part is just too hard unless you're constantly telling it everything, like your assistant, like the rent credit's going to hit on this. You know, it's like that. That part would have to be constant. That contact that you do to a human.
1: That's why I think a context strategy across a firm is so important, and that's also why I think that something like um microsoft Copilot, which isn't which is out but not quite out is gonna be potentially i mean if it does what they say it's gonna do could potentially be a game changer in the ai realm because you know if you think about it all the like think about using the microsoft ecosystem so anything that's like a one-off where i have a chat with a team member theoretically copilot would have access to that context if i have a channel where i'm communicating with a customer then Copilot has access to that context. If I'm using Teams for all of my meetings, and those, those are both internal meetings and customer meetings, and if the AI can understand the difference between the two, can take transcripts and understand the context, understand the context within all of the like little one-off chats that we're having in Teams, plus the actual physical meetings, plus whatever documents are now sitting in, a, what is it, OneDrive is a Microsoft product or whatever. Um, understanding all of these various things, so now it has the context. Then it becomes a little bit more compelling to me. And I guess Jeremy, that gets into your point too of context.
0: Well, I was thinking to say this, this gets back to what we were just talking about with, for example, struggling to get sales data into QuickBooks. You know, mm-hmm. it, it all depends on whether that integration is there and available, and whether the uh, the the source of those data make it available whether it's through api or you know something else right like you know this is my beef with stripe right is i i know stripe has the data i just can't get it out it offers no no conduit, no pathway to get those data out, not even within the system itself. Can I create a chart that shows me, you know, sales per uh, uh, invoice line item, you know, right? Like that doesn't even exist within their own software, even though they have the data. So they're surely not going to build some API connection where I can import that somewhere else. And so you know, when we're looking at AI, it's going to come back to one, does it have the data Two: do I have to manually input the data or can I pull those data from somewhere else? And then three, once I've done that, once I've dumped that data into the AI system, what happens to it? Then does it just sit there in a silo on a cloud server somewhere? Is it being accessed by third parties? Like what, what happens then? Yeah, I think that,
2: I mean, there's a lot of good points and I, and I, it to me, the human aspect, it, it There's so much that goes into it, right? And an example would be you know, we were looking at a a quick cash burn analysis and we had to take multiple different sources because of like access and and what was going on at this startup where I needed to go grab paychecks. I had transactions in an Excel from somebody else that had not been booked that I needed to factor into. I also need to map what was one time CapEx versus OpEx, right? Like, what is the. So it's like I was pulling five different files, mapping it myself, and it's like, How do you get to the point where someone can do that and pull it all and get it the way you want it and know what's one time and what's not, and what will be capital? Like, that's just complex. And it takes a ton of time. And I, I, as you brought up earlier, Chris, I, the development side of that, because it's so much just like finance brain, like, how do you just get that into code that just can do all of those things? It, I, you know, I'm sure it will get there, but it's crazy to think about.
1: And now it's a whole bunch of edge cases, right? Which we yep. talked about a little while ago. Like you can't develop right. for edge cases. exactly. So
2: yeah, exactly.
1: Now what? So we've gone pretty deep down this rabbit hole. Let's pull it back a little bit
0: for a second. Uh, Devin, you're a CPA. We're all CPAs here. CPA has this concept called CAS out there. What uh, we like to ask our guests about this. What is... Cast to you what does cast mean how are you applying cast in your own practice yeah
2: that's a good question or I, are you? yeah I mean I'd say I probably haven't like thought about cast truly like in too much but I would say that to me it's just the way I think about it I guess is the whole advisory side of things is is an in interesting kind of realm right because like what you can do what you can't do and and kind of where you get into that gray area for us I think personally, the way I think about it is our advisory is we're constantly changing everything that we kind of do, right? Like we're giving advisory on accounting, we're giving advisory on CFO, we're giving advisory on potentially MA. So I like, I feel like my version of, of advisory is really that it's just, I, I think of it broad, right? I don't, I don't, I think of it as kind of we're just overall making recommendations and kind of giving our analysis based on our experience that we've done in the past of the best guidance to give you kind of going forward. And I, I haven't, I, I, I would admit my my CPA and CPEs, I feel like I my current CPE status is, you know, every holiday, I just scramble somewhere to, to get rid of the rest of them. Um, and so, I you know, I haven't deep dive into a lot of those kind of true accounting or those true AICPA concepts. So... Probably not the best answer to give, but I, I kind of have it as a, a broad, it's broad in my mind of what CAS is. It covers a, a wide realm of services and, and things that we do.
0: Yeah, I, that answer works for me. I mean, it's, 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 it, it's I, I'm not sure there is a more nuanced way to put it, right? Given what AICPA has produced, uh, you know, in terms of their marketing materials and, and brochures and that kind of stuff on, on CAS. Good deal. Awesome. Uh, Okay, so let's look at your software Cortis. Um, So if somebody, you said you've got this in a state to where it's internal, but it, it's it's ready. If there are firm owners out there listening to this and they want a piece of this, is that is that available to them yet? And if so, how can they get in touch with you about it?
2: Yeah. So we're kind of at the point now where we're starting to venture out and let other people test it and get feedback. So right now, a lot of what we're doing outside of our internal purposes or our kind of CFOs that are within our company is we're giving free access to go on, you know, link things and go through and just give us feedback. So $0, tell us what you don't like based on, you know, what other, you know, services, softwares you've used. And cause that to us really is the most value right now. Um, so yeah, anybody who would like to test it, give us feedback, right. They can use it for free. We can iterate and give them more features and things they need. Um, they can reach me at uh, my email, which is just Devon at chorus.io or on Twitter, but yeah, more and more people, the more and more feedback, right. We're trying to build it. I always say we're, we're building it up with the focus on the finance people. So the more finance people that use it and give feedback on the things it doesn't do, can't do needs to do, and then how it looks, how it does that. That's gold for us because that, you know, to us, we really want to make sure it's a it's a finance platform and not a you know tech platform per se. Finance people are going to be competing with Excel. So we need to make sure that it does everything that they need it to do to kind of make their jobs easier.
0: Is there a kind of business or you know, in turn in terms of maybe size yep. or complexity or industry yep. that this is that you found that this is better for or not as well suited yep. for? And what kinds of Questions: Would the advisor be asking that this would be the right thing to try, or maybe they should try something different instead?
2: Uh, really good question. I think for us, a lot of it is startups. I think startups benefit the most because if you're in a scenario where you're pre-revenue or you're, you know, cash burning, you know, cash is it, cash is king, and you need to know what's going on there at all times. So I think for us, it it really resonates in that instance because we're always tracking your cash runway by scenario. So you can go in and duplicate 15 different scenarios and see if I do this, if I do this, what happens to my runway and just constantly change, you know, the toggle on your dashboard to see between scenarios, what's going. So I think that sticks a lot. Um, And then on the SMB side, I think that really is for the KPIs, right? So like for the SMBs that are making money, it's a lot of seeing what did we budget, what do we plan for, what happened? And that's kind of how we use it more on the SMB versus on the startup. So anybody really that's kind of, I would say, 50 million under in revenue that, you know, feels like they can they're not tracking KPIs. They don't know what's going on. They don't have a budget. They don't have forecasting or analysis. It would work for that on, you know, especially on the s uh, side and anybody on the startup side, right, who's cash burning or, you know, pre-revenue, whatever it is there. It, I think it, it really benefits them there to constantly have, you know, um, their hand on what's going on in terms of the the cash runway and how it's changing on a month over month basis and and when they may need to raise again, or, you know, find some sort of funding source.
1: So is there a website that people can go check out? We're actually
2: redoing the website right now, but if you just go to, it's Cordis.io, so K-O-R-D-I-S.io. It will be changing a lot probably in the next couple of days. We're redoing the entire thing. It's almost done. Um, but yes, you can go there and you'll see screenshots, um, redoing the demo. Um, so it will go through a lot of the core things that we do there. So yeah, you can do there and obviously you can reach me, uh, on Twitter or at my email as well. And I'm happy to get you on board and, and uh, let you, you know, test out the platform and, and see how we can do it better.
1: Tell us a little bit about the roadmap where you're ultimately going.
2: So roadmap wise, um, you know, we were kind of talking about it earlier The you know, we're trying to make it the system of record for data. So right now. You know, it's pulling all your QuickBooks data, and you know you can click in to a specific field, a specific line item, see all your transaction detail, right? So a lot of the core focus has been getting you off of QuickBooks, see your P by class, see et cetera, what's going on there. The next main things for us are really going to be on the uh, forecasting side, is making it simplified. So we're not going for multiple sheets, multiple complexities. It, it's we're trying to stay simplified, but making it similar in movement and kind of uh, flow to Excel. So we're working on uh, right now on the roadmap, we're working on the shortcuts so that you can use all the shortcuts you would use or the key ones you would use in Excel to move around in your forecasting models, making sure that you can link and do those types of, you know, kind of what I'd call custom formulas. Those are some of the nearer term things. And I'd say longer term, what we're trying to do is bring in your templates, right? So have a cash runaway template that can auto pull for 13 week cash flows. Or budgeting or things like that. So a lot of the near term is focused on, you know, the quality of data and separating it to help you make decisions. And then I'd say like the next part is like, you know, the Excel, the forecasting side of it. And then, you know, further down is the templates and easily creating all the different cash flows or analyses that you might need, um, exporting them, doing all of those things. Um, it's kind of where I'd say the next six to 12 months look like.
0: You said that you're using this when you're talking with your customers, yep. is this producing reports or are you just showing them your dashboard or what does that actually look Yeah. Like?
2: So when we go through uh, with a customer, whether it's the end of a week, end of the month, we're kind of going through, they're looking at the KPIs in the dashboard, I'd say more consistently. I'm going through the variance analysis and then going through where we are compared to the budget that we have in, you know, one of the scenarios that we're using in the software and looking at kind of what has changed and where we missed. So I'm using it more to go through the variances and then our current forecast and like, what do we need to update? What do we need to change? What scenarios do we need to run? And then I'd say kind of the tracking charts, KPIs, graphs, that's really just done. People are just checking that consistently or checking their numbers consistently without, you know, reviewing with our team.
0: That's cool. And and again, this is all stuff that QBO just doesn't inherently just spit out at you. And so... You, you need somebody or something to actually break this down for you as, as a business owner and show you, yeah, here's your trends. Here's what's happening. Here's what we expect to happen. Here's why it didn't happen the way we thought it would, those kinds of things.
2: The data part, right? Becomes, here's the data. but If you don't compare it to anything, right? Wh- why does it matter? That's what we're always trying to get to on the, you know, the talking to a person side is why did it matter? And then if they say, wait, why is you know, office expenses up so much? click into it, see it, right. Getting it to move away. If you're not going to go into QuickBooks, you don't want to go into QuickBooks. We don't want you to have to, right. All your data is housed there. So how do we make it so that you're, you know, as I said, your system of record. And then from there, how do we expand the forecasting capabilities? And we're, you know, always talking about new integrations because I really want the, I kind of think about it in like the software in three spots. It's like, dashboard is your analytics hub, right? Do you need to see your payroll? Do you need to see square? Do you need to see X, Y, and Z? The actuals, like your QuickBooks data, whatever it is your system that's pulling in, we you just need to see what happened in there, those numbers versus your variance. And can you click in and see what's in there, kind of what happened, right? Why is it more? Why is it less? And then on the, the forecasting side, it's how can we get close enough to Excel that you don't want to go in Excel, right? Those are like the three ways I kind of view the different components of the software. And the Excel part is obviously very hard because they have quite the moat, and you know finance people will always default to I can just build something quick in Excel. So how do you how do you battle that?
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Awesome, uh, Chris. Takeaway from this
1: episode, I might say. Well, I mean, it's always interesting talking with software developers, right? Because it's kind of I I don't want to say well maybe it is a hobby of mine, maybe it is a passion. I don't know where that line is, but um, you know definitely something I've struggled through. So it's always interesting to get somebody else's take on that right um but just kind of the practicality of ai and getting that from somebody who is a cba who has developed software who understands that uh i think is you know a great conversation to have because it seems that we're so far out in front of this and everybody is so excited it's like yeah take, take take a breath it'll be okay right there there is a place for it but um understanding the practical applications of it i think is super important
0: Fantastic! Awesome, Devin. This has been uh, really cool. We've we've had some people on the show before talking about uh, software development. I think they were a little bit further along, and so seeing where you've come with this, and and more the earlier stages, and you know, especially the fact that you you had. Uh, you know, some different experiences that sort of guided the way you thought about putting this project together and have been able to to get it up and running to a point to where now you're bringing it to market, right? Um, you know, at least in that uh, sort of early beta stage. I think that's incredible. Um, yeah, I just wonder how many firm owners, CPAs, tax preparers are out there just struggling with this one recurring problem and just don't even think about building a tool out as a potential solution they they think that they that they just have to suffer with it right that it's part of the rights of being in their profession is just annually or monthly or however often having to just struggle with this problem that saying that building a solution just doesn't seem like a possibility
1: i think there's a lot of those folks out there and i think we're going to see more of them as our generation and younger moves into firm ownership and starts to see these problems so i think Devin's what probably the third software Developer that's also an accountant that we've had on the show. I think third, yeah, third, four, so. something like that. Yeah,
0: third, uh, I know for third, right? Because yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So because audit minor with Kelly Mann and then uh, tax plan IQ.
1: Yep. So at least, at least the yeah. third, and we're having all of these yeah. con- conversations around no code. Right. So to some extent, you know, it's going to become a bigger conversation like, oh, I can go build something and I don't need to ha- have to code or I don't have to go hire an agency and I don't have to go do the thing on Upwork and all like all of the things that are that are all really, really hard. Um, but, you know, firm owners for forever are going to have these nagging problems that they want to solve and probably try to solve with software. And I think it's a really important conversation to have to just let people know, like, this is the process that all of these people have gone through. And these are the things to watch out for. And these are the things to think about and, you know, soldier forth. It's, it's just a really cool process. And it's really cool that there's people like them and out there that are out there doing it. Right. Um, but I think it's a super important conversation to have. And I think it's gonna be more important as we kind of go along here.
2: Yeah. I think, you know, as you said, the no codes, the abilities that is going to allow more and more things. You could, you know, build a software that does one thing, right? One thing really, really well. And you'll be surprised if you can do one thing very, very well, the amount of people that'll be. Right. And that's where when you first wanna go into software, you have eighty thousand features you wanna do. And then you realize quickly that people use six of them. And you're like, doesn't really matter. We just need to do the good the one these the, these things very, very well. And we can beat everybody if we're just mm-hmm. the best at those
0: things. Awesome, Devin. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Appreciate it. Thank you guys. Thanks, Devin. Hey, it's Jeremy. Thanks for listening to the CPA advisory show. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others. Leave a rating and write us a review. We'll probably read your review on the air, too. To catch all the latest from us, follow us on Twitter at CPA Advisory Show. If you have a topic or guest you'd like to hear on the show, let us know by emailing host at CPA Show dot com. Thanks again.